Well, good morning again. Um, it's exciting to hear about all the things that are going on in the neighborhood and, and uh, that are connected to this church and all of, all of you, all of us. Um, so I uh, just want to start with a question uh, this morning. Have you ever had one of those mornings where you suddenly woke up, your heart was racing, you just know that you've slept in, as like slept through, and so immediately you start becoming really anxious, and you're thinking, oh no, I have to get to work, I have that meeting today, there's that project I was supposed to have done, and then your anxiety turns into anger as you're like, why in the world didn't my alarm clock go off, like, what do I do, and and, and you're just filling to the brim with all of this. And then suddenly you remember, it's Saturday. <laughs> and in, in a moment, everything changes. Uh, in just a brief moment, everything switches and you go, oh, I can sleep in. I can relax. I don't have to worry about all of that. Um, now I realize I'm speaking to a lot of people with young children and maybe that's actually not what Saturdays look like. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, remembering... Uh, has this great way of suddenly changing everything about the present moment. Um, And that is where our text begins today. Um, And so 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, is is where we're going to be. Um, I'm going to read through the text as I preach, and so let's pray. God, thank you for your word. May... The, the words um, of my mouth as I preach and the meditations of our hearts as we are together be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Uh, be with us and speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so again, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Um, I'm just going to take this kind of phrase by phrase, um, pause along the way, and, and talk through this text. So Uh, Beginning with verse 8, Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. Now, I I love this this passage, and I love this this place where it starts, um, this word remember. Um, The word remember uh, does a a couple of things here for, for us specifically, I think. The word remember dispels the myth of progress, that uh, we often live in. We live in a a culture, a city, a time, and a place that buys into this idea that the only thing good is ahead, Um, that that we always have to move forward. It's this myth of of progress and kind of has its roots in the Enlightenment, which even that, you know, the, the calling it Enlightenment, the idea that everything before was kind of superstitious and archaic, but now we're enlightened, Um, and we're only becoming more enlightened. I mean, I think there's something true about the need to have progress and move forward. But, but there's, I think there's, there's something uh, very unhealthy about only uh, believing that, only moving forward. And, and that's, uh, it, to be honest, I think that's a myth that our society kind of buys into in a lot of ways. Um, it, it's, Jesus once preached in the uh, parable uh, of the wheat and the weeds, uh, this is in Matthew 13, uh, where he told this story about uh, someone who went in and sowed good seed, and it sprouted up with wheat, uh, and then overnight uh, an enemy came through and sowed in bad seed that s- sprouted up with weeds, and they go up in the morning and they find it all, and they see it there, and they go, what do we do? There's, now there's weeds among our weeds. And the master says, just leave it, let it all grow together, and then in the harvest day, we'll harvest what's good and throw out what's bad. And that 
is, I think, far more what's happening. The, the world we live in is not this world of constant progress, but actually a world in which both good and bad are growing at the same time. And we can trust the goodness, um, and it takes discernment to know uh, the things that are weeds um, in our world. And so this word remember dispels the myth of progress, but it also does something else. The word remember helps us to keep perspective. Um, if you remember, the theme that we have throughout Second Timothy is uh, being faithful in difficult times. And in difficult times, one of the very first things that happens often is our perspective narrows. Um, think about that scene that I just told you at the very beginning. You know, when anxiety rushes in, the only thing you can think about is right now. And often right now doesn't look very hopeful uh, in, in that. Or, uh, you know, d- depression is another thing that does this. Um, uh, anytime that, that we're in a moment of, of panic, of um, depression, of anxiety, that the, the present moment narrows and we can see so little and, and so this, this word remember uh, calls us to, to widen our perspective, to look outside of the present moment um, that the difficult times so often limit us to. And the thing is, is that we, we have this narrowing of perspective, but it's not that we don't know that things are going to be okay. It's not that we don't know that the gospel is good, um, that God is here. It's just that we so easily forget. Um, and so this word remember calls us out of that and helps us to remember that there is, in fact, goodness, that God is alive and here with us. And so this passage, this first phrase, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, is an invitation to remember God's faithfulness, Uh, his faithfulness to Christ in the resurrection and his faithfulness to Israel and the descendants of David. And so this, this idea of remembering is that our faith is actually rooted in history. Okay, Christianity is a historic religion, and I don't mean it's historic in that it's a big deal, although it is. Um, and I, I don't mean that it's historic in that it has a, a long-ranging history, although it does. But I mean it's historic in that it's based on something that happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a historic event that actually our calendar shifts on. We're in, you know, year 2017, and that numbering is based on the life of Jesus Christ, um, and that this is actually how we measure our days. Um, The the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a a historic moment, um, and, and that's what our faith is rooted in. And this is why the Bible is filled with stories of specific people in specific places, um, the, the scriptures are not primarily theological treatises. Uh, it's not primarily spiritual formulas. Uh, the scripture is personal narratives. It's filled with stories. Even in the first five books of the Bible, which we call the law, um, it's filled with stories. You have the stories of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have the stories of Moses, Israel being delivered from Egypt. Uh, you have the stories of them going and searching out the promised land, wandering in the wilderness. And, and yes, there are laws in the midst of that. Um, but God is a God of history, a God who actually enters into time and space with specific people at specific times. Um, and this is our faith. Um, you know, I was mentioning just, just a, a broad perspective. And this, um, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, kind of reflects back on that historic 
nature. You have, in, in this grand narrative of Scripture, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, who he renamed Israel, who he turned into a nation, who through Moses he delivered from Egypt, and then through Joshua led into the promised land, who were ruled for a while by judges, uh, from whom came Samuel, who eventually anointed David to be king, through whom he promised the coming Messiah, Jesus. This is the faithfulness of God, that God is faithful throughout history. Um, and has been and continues to be. This is why Israel kept the Passover, in order to remember that God has delivered us. And they remember the historic moment of being delivered out of Egypt. This is why we gather every week and read the Word of God and and take communion together uh, to remember that Jesus died, Jesus raised, and Jesus will come again. The central claim of Christianity is that Christ is risen. It's something that happened. And as we remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, our hope comes alive. In difficult times, uh, as I said, often the way forward is actually back. The way forward is to look back and remember what was. We move forward to redemption as we look back to the resurrection. And this is actually a far more integrated way of being than the myth of progress or the narrowing of perspectives that we often default to. Um, Because the myth of progress looks only to the future. The narrowing of, of perspective in difficult times gets stuck in the present. Whereas this call to remember actually gives us a hope for the future, the ability to endure in the present because we're remembering the past. That, that these are all integrated together. Um, there's a, a professor that I have at school who uh, talks about hope. Um, and it's, it, it's kind of a, the definition that he gives it, it kind of wig you out, but I think it's beautiful and brilliant. He says, hope is remembering the future. That the future is something we are so sure of, that we can so count on, that we can actually remember it. Because God is faithful. We look back at the faithfulness of God and the resurrection of Jesus, and we know that we have a hope for the future. And that's what gives us strength to endure. And so in difficult times, we remember that God is faithful. It's not only our assurance, but also the fuel for our endurance. And so let's keep reading uh, in uh, 2 Timothy. Paul goes on to write, This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Now, I love this. The gospel gives hope, and hope gives strength strength to endure. Paul is preaching in chains right now. Like, you've got to love this guy. Nothing can stop him. That, you know, you can lock up the messenger, but you can't stop the message. It's like Paul really believes what Isaiah prophesied when he said, God's word will not return void. That even in chains, Paul is proclaiming the gospel, trusting that God will be faithful to bring fruit from that. That God's word will not return void. So keep keep reading. Paul writes, therefore, I will endure for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus 
with eternal glory. So the fuel for Paul's endurance is the hope of the gospel. But the purpose of his endurance is the people of God. He does this for the sake of the elect. Um, and, And there's something so core in this that salvation is not just an individual thing. Uh, salvation is not just a personal experience. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not less than that, but it's far more than that. Uh, salvation is something that's experienced within community. That's why we have community groups that meet throughout the week, uh, so we can gather in each other's homes um, for the sake of the elect, so we can endure um, and encourage one another. Um, in difficult times, we need a for the sake of uh, to carry us along, to motivate us. Um, And that's what community is for. Uh, Something else I see in in this uh, kind of part of the passage is is there's this picture of the upside-down kingdom of God. That while Paul is suffering in chains, uh, he he does that so that the people of God might have salvation and eternal glory. So you have suffering in chains and salvation in eternal glory. And this is a mystery of the kingdom of God, that it's, it's upside down, that the, the first uh, shall, shall be last, that the, the least among you shall be the greatest, that the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This, this is the mystery of the kingdom of God, that we actually find life in death. And you can see that here as Paul is suffering um, and persecuted. But, but I have to be honest about this. We have to be honest about this because I think too often we kind of carry this persecution complex where it's, oh, you know, it's so hard to be a Christian in Seattle, in America. And let's just be honest, we're not persecuted as Paul was. Look around the room. We're not in chains. We're freely gathered to worship, to read the word of God together. We're not being persecuted as Paul was or as the early church was. And that's because we have privilege. And we have to know that. And we have to give thanks for that, that we are actually privileged to gather freely. And, and our privilege does a couple of things here. Uh, on the one hand, it, it actually puts us in a place where we are able to help those in need. Um, if you look back at the end of chapter 1 in 2 Timothy, Paul uh, mentions this guy named on- Onesiphorus, uh, who went to Rome, sought out Paul, found him, was this encouraging presence for him. Paul says, he refreshed my spirit many times. Um, Onesiphorus has privilege. He is not in chains. And so what is he using his privilege for? To go and serve Paul, to find Paul out, to encourage Paul. Um, we are those people. We are the people who, who have privilege. And so there are people throughout the world being persecuted for their faith. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who are dying, who are suffering, um, on and on. And, and there are organizations that actually exist to serve and, and help them. There's one that um, I just found this last week as I was thinking about this called Open Doors. Um, it's a ministry to persecuted Christians, and it's actually started by a Dutchman. Um, his name is Brother Andrew. 
In, in a recent uh, interview with Christianity Today, the current CEO of Open Doors uh, said, if I had the feeling that the American church and all of my travels was praying, at least praying for the persecuted believers, I would feel so much better than I do. I just don't think it's happening on a very wide scale. And so even if, if we could just hold in our minds and in our hearts and pray for those who are persecuted throughout the world, um, how great a thing that would be. Uh, and, and there's not only those around the world. I mean, there, there are those in Seattle who we have, uh, with our privilege, are able to serve not people being persecuted uh, for their faith, but people in, in great need, uh, people who need homes, who need uh, resources. Um, and, and there are so many ways that we can use the privileges that we have to serve, um, to freely give. And so that's one thing that, that our privilege does. Um, but actually, there, there's another thing that it does too, because far too often, our privilege actually desensitizes us to the power and the reality of the gospel. We don't have physical chains. Our chains are those of complacency and fear. That we are so used to having kind of an easy life, that we're so used to being able to freely gather and worship that the gospel itself begins to lose some of its power on us. Um, that it just becomes sort of a, oh, well, of, of course. And, and there's something beautiful about the of courseness of the gospel because God's faithfulness, of course, God is faithful. Of course, he's with us. And yet we grow numb to it so easily. This is why Paul threw out uh, the, the first chapter of, of uh, 2 Timothy that we've read so far. He says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. He says, guard the good deposit with the help of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is a precious and valuable thing. And our privilege has far too often desensitized us to it. And so let's go back to our own beginning that Paul begins to explore uh, with this trustworthy saying in, in the, the rest of the passage. Uh, beginning in verse 11, Paul writes, Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, or I'm sorry, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I just want to take this um, a couple lines at a time. So this, this first half, if we died with him, we will also live with him. This uh, line, this phrase, sounds a lot like um, what Paul writes elsewhere about baptism. I think this is a reminder of baptism. In Romans chapter 6, Paul writes, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
And this is where this trustworthy saying that Paul writes begins. If we died with him, we will also live with him. And so this, this kind of throwback to baptism, you know, in, in our moments of, of kind of realizing that maybe we've become numb to the power of the gospel, become desensitized, um, going back to the beginnings of your faith, remembering sort of the, the, the origins of, of where your faith came from, um, remembering the, the sort of the good times with God, um, actually can be a very powerful thing. Um, and uh, this can, can begin to wake us up and, and fuel us uh, to endure. Um, another thing that this uh, passage does uh, in the next line, if we endure, we will also reign with him. It, it shows, again, the nature of this upside-down kingdom of God. So we have, if we die, we will live with him. Um, and then this next line, the word endure literally in, in the Greek actually means to remain under. Um, and so to endure something means to remain under something. So remaining under suffering, remaining under stress. Um, this, is, this is what endurance means. And so when it says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. It's saying, if we endure, remain under, then we will also reign or rule over with him. Again, this picture of the, the kingdom, which is upside down, which is subversive to everything that, that we naturally know. Um, the, the kingdom of God is, is subversive, upside down. And so, again, if, if you sense yourself uh, becoming desensitized or feeling numb in, in your faith, uh, go down in humility. So we can, we can go back to the beginnings of our faith, remembering our baptism, go down in humility and serve to remain under. Um, these, these are the ways that uh, we, are, we are shown to live the kingdom and to live the gospel. Um, and all of that is very spiritual and, and good. Um, and yet, as Paul is writing this, remember, he's in chains. And this has very real physical implications for Paul. Um, that, that if we die with him, we will also live with him is not just a spiritual reality for Paul. Um, it is a physical risk that Paul is living in. Um, and, and again, I think too often uh, we turn our faith into this wonderful spiritual thing that has no implications on our day-to-day lives, on our, our physical bodies, um, and yet God calls our whole being to be his. Um, and Paul uh, is, is uh, faithful in, in his suffering and in his endurance. Um, so now the, the second half of the uh, um, trustworthy saying, if we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, this past week in our community group, um, we were kind of laughing a little bit because this whole uh, thing uh, likely was an early Christian hymn. And so as we were reading these four lines, we were kind of joking about, okay, let's sing the hymn verses one, two, and four. Because uh, <laughs> let's be honest, verse three is, is, uh, is kind of difficult. Um, but in all seriousness, it's a warning. And warnings make us feel uncomfortable. But scripture does not shy away from uncomfortable truths. 
As Mark said several weeks ago in a sermon on the resurrection, the truth has implications. And scripture does not shy away from the truth. And so there is a warning here. And while it is a warning, I think it also shows us something about God. Because God does not force himself upon people. If someone does not want anything to do with God, then perhaps God won't force their hand. In, in Romans, uh, the beginning of Romans, this is actually described as the wrath of God. That, that the wrath of God is ultimately God leaving people to their own devices. And we know the grace of God is that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And that's where this trustworthy saying leads us. This is the surprise twist at the end of the saying. It's almost jarring reading it. Um, God is a God of surprises, much like the surprise twist of the resurrection that none of his disciples expected or thought would happen. God is gracious to remain faithful even when we are faithless. When we fail, God does not. When our hearts are chained in fear and complacence, God's word remains unchained. This is good news. And yet, there's still so much dissonance that we have. I, I understand that just about, I think, all the community groups that were discussing this passage throughout this past week just got hung up on this. Like, well, what do we do with, with, with this phrase? Like, how do, we, how do we deal with this? And I think the best way to interpret the Bible uh, when you're having trouble is to use the Bible. So um, there's another passage that's very similar to this that I think helps. And it's in 1 John uh, chapter 1. Uh, I think we have it on the screen. I'll read it. John writes, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I think this is what Paul is getting at, that if we disown him, he will disown us. If we claim to be without sin, then we are liars and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we are faithless and we come to confess that, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the gospel. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I love that this passage begins with this reminder of God's faithfulness in the resurrection. And the passage ends with the statement that God is faithful. And in between that, there's this, this picture of Paul's suffering and Paul's endurance. And I think that's very telling for us, that the fuel for our endurance is the reality of the faithfulness of God that goes behind and before us, at the beginning and the end. And another way that I think the beginning and end of this passage connect um, is that it says, uh, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. And there is no 
better picture of God's faithfulness and not disowning himself than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if, if you remember the, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying and looking ahead to the cross. And yet, he trusted the faithfulness of his Father and prayed, not my will, but your will. And he trusted his Father and went ahead to endure the cross. On the cross, uh, Jesus' final words were, into your hands I commit my spirit. That Jesus himself gives up his own life, trusting the faithfulness of his Father, that God would not leave him, not desert him, but rather find him and raise him back to life. The resurrection proves that God did not disown himself, does not disown himself. The father was faithful to the son. And so let us remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. May we remember God's faithfulness and may that give us strength to endure.